Well, the weather is warming up, hopefully, and students are getting out of school, and my calendar tells me that this week is officially the beginning of summer, which I am glad about. How many of you have summer plans? Are anybody planning to travel this summer? You got some travel plans? I remember as a kid, we would take trips. We lived in the Midwest, and I don't remember flying anywhere. We drove everywhere. And if you've never been to the Midwest or the Western United States, you, know, uh, you won't know that the states out there are very big. We could take an entire day and drive across one state, and you could be in like four or five states out here in that same amount of time. And so we had long road trips. I remember some of the things we used to do on these journeys. I had an original Game Boy. Anybody remember those? That's how I used my time. I also had a Discman. This was before smartphones. And how many can say hallelujah for electronic skip protection? You needed that ESP in, on the road, on those bumpy roads of Nebraska, those bumpy highways. Or uh, I remember one time we were taking a long road trip through Colorado, and uh, we stopped at a candy store, and I got an enormous jawbreaker, and I licked it until my tongue bled. And of course... Of course, this was all before the advent of the smartphone, and so to navigate, my dad had to go old school and use an atlas. Well, he didn't go old school. It's what there was. He used an atlas, and uh, trip planning was a bit different back then. You couldn't jump in the car and say, navigate to the Grand Canyon and follow a little blue line until you get there. You actually had to plan your route, and so in order for the trip to be successful, you had to know where to go and where to turn beforehand. My dad would have to lay out the route because it's really hard to drive and read an enormous atlas at the same time. But whether it was then or now, road trips require some planning. At least if you want them to be good, if you want them to be successful, usually they require a bit of advanced planning. And often, we describe our lives in a similar way. We'll talk about our lives as some kind of journey, and while each of our lives is going to be unique, maybe leading to different places, different de destinations, we do all share some very common elements in our lives. And some of us may be headed for the night to the Super 8. Others might have rented the entire lake house, but everybody's got to stop to go to the bathroom and get gas on the way, right? And there are certain must-see sites as well that almost everybody stops at, whether you're driving an old beat-up Pinto or you've got the, you know, the, the whatever, the Escalade or whatever, you pull up and you're wanting to see these same sites. The destinations are often uh, similar because you want to see similar things. And, and so in life, we have some common experiences, things that we go through, occurrences that most of us We'll, we'll deal with. And so this summer, we're gonna be taking a little bit of a road trip together and, and we're gonna stop along some of these must-see sites. We're gonna be talking about things like money and dating, modesty, sexuality, entertainment, some other things. And today, since it's Father's Day, we're gonna begin by talking about parenting. But what we wanna do this summer is not just get some good tips and tricks and principles for these things. Those are nice, but this isn't daytime television. And so while you might get some nice tips from people, or you might read a book and get some self-help, and there can be good things there, some of it's not so good. And also, we want to know, what does the gospel have to say about this? The gospel, the good news that God sent his son Jesus, who died for our sin, who bore the weight of our burden and our debt on the cross, whom God raised from the dead and is now exalted to the place of king on high, what does that have to say about these issues, these common pit stops in our lives? The good news, what does it say along this journey? And since it's Father's Day, and since we didn't have a typical Mother's Day service or sermon because Greg Hubbard was here, we're gonna start this journey by talking about parenting. Now, I know that everyone 
is not a parent. Some of you might uh, be longing to be parents, be praying to become parents. Others may be looking forward to it in the future. Still others, maybe you're not a parent and you have no expectation of being a parent, but this pit stop in life is common enough and it's foundational enough for the church that I think it's important that we would address it in a large setting like a Sunday morning. I've been a parent now for 14 years, and there are different stages in life that you go through as as a parent, and you're always learning, you're adjusting to new things, new realities for your children, and recently I was reflecting on some of the adjustments that I needed to make as a dad, and the Holy Spirit led me to some scriptures that are helping me to think about how to relate to new stages in my own kids' lives. And so I wanna share some of those scriptures with you as we kind of frame our understanding of parenting with the gospel of Jesus. You can understand parenting through the gospel. You can understand how to parent through the gospel. The gospel is good news. But that good news comes after we have some pretty bad news. And by pretty bad news, I mean like the worst news. The first first gospel principle that you need to apply to your parenting is that your kids are sinners and they're in rebellion against God. Now, I know that these are not the kind of posts you put on Instagram and Facebook. You don't put the ones, that, you put the ones where they're being the little angels, not the ones where they're being the little demons. But the fact of the matter is that all of us are sinners and we're in need of a savior. Listen to the bleak way that scripture describes humanity in our fallen state of sin and rebellion. Psalm 51, five, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Romans 3.10, as it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2.1-3, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." Sometimes when we think of our kids, we think that by nature they are little angels. But the Bible tells us something else. It tells us that all of us, all of mankind, that we are by nature children of wrath in separation from God because of our rebellion in sin. Kids are born with a bent away from God. And they are born into a world that wants to continue to bend them away from God. Before they know Christ as Savior, your precious angels are actually children of wrath. They're not by nature God's children. They aren't naturally inclined toward the Lord. They're in rebellion against God, inclined toward disobedience. They're sinners in need of a Savior. They might be cute little sinners, but the last time I checked, cute is not a qualification for salvation, is it? doesn't qualify us for eternal life. And so while kids might be cute, that doesn't mean they're automatically good or they're automatically saved. We need to know this as parents because the good news is still good news. But if we forget where our kids start, we may forget where to take them and where to lead them. Romans 3, 23 to 24, we read 23 a moment ago. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
know, it's really easy to think about Romans 3.23 in the abstract. Yeah, everybody's a sinner. Yeah, cool. It's really a lot more difficult when you plug your kids' names into that. Or maybe your own name. For Stephen has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. Or the name of your child has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. Now hopefully your kids have or soon will put their faith in Jesus and be saved. But even then, they're going to need direction. They're going to need help in overcoming their sin nature. And it's our responsibility as parents to lead our children to the Savior. How should our awareness that our kids are sinners in need of salvation instruct us in raising them? Well, first, discipline early and consistently. Proverbs 13.24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Listen, first off, let's get this out of the way. That verse doesn't and has never meant beat your kids. That's not what it's talking about, okay? In fact, it may not have anything to do with corporal punishment at all. Yes, a rod was a stick, and I suppose if you want to imagine it being used for a whooping, you could. But listen to how else this word rod is used in the Bible. Psalm 23, verse 4, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Those instruments were used by the shepherd to direct and to nudge when needed, to get sheep back on the path and in the safety of the flock. Notice that this verse is not about punishment, it's about discipline. It says parents should be diligent to discipline. You should be on the lookout for opportunities to discipline. Not on the lookout for opportunities to punish, on the lookout for opportunities to discipline. There is a difference It's tempting as parents to be undisciplined and then not discipline our kids. It's easier to let them get away with things. It's easier not to be watchful. But gospel parenting means you are aware of the need your kids have of direction toward Jesus. That they will not, if left to themselves, be naturally inclined to Jesus. And you have, in point of fact, been put into their lives primarily to lead them to the Savior. And you don't want to spare the rod that will help point them in that direction and shape them and keep them sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit by helping them overcome a rebellious heart and instead replacing it with a heart that's willing to receive correction, whether that correction comes from you or eventually and ultimately from the Holy Spirit. And the idea of diligently disciplining lends itself to studying your child's character. Every child is different. They all have unique gifts and strengths. And you should celebrate the strengths that your kids have. You want to build them up. You want to encourage them with your words. They need to know your love and your affirmation. All kids want to be affirmed, especially by their dads. If you've ever gone to the park with a toddler and you see a dad there or you're the dad, you've taken your toddler to the park, you will inevitably hear something like this. Hey, dad, watch this. And then he goes down the slide. What is he looking for? Confirmation that gravity works? Like, yay, son, gravity works on you too. Great, you fell down the slide. No, he wants to know your love and your appreciation. He wants to see your admiration. He wants to know your affection. He's looking for that affirmation. And as parents, we should give that to our kids. We should encourage them and strengthen them. We should encourage them in the strengths that God has given them. But the other side of that uniqueness that every child has is that they'll have unique weaknesses and unique character flaws. Proverbs 22.15 reminds us folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Again, that rod is not about punishment, it's about discipline. Discipline about teaching your kids what to do with their weaknesses. And parents need to pay 
enough attention to their kids that they learn their character weaknesses and can correct them and direct them through those weaknesses. And we can come alongside our kids and encourage them. We want to give them wisdom and when necessary, take some things out of their lives and maybe put other things into their lives to help them overcome those weaknesses that they have. Because the goal of parenting isn't just that we're going to survive until they graduate high school and leave the house or that they'll, they'll make us look good or hopefully at least they won't make us look bad. That's not the goal of parenting. The goal is to assist our kids' growth in character and godliness and lead them to Jesus. And this input and coaching is going to differ according to your child's age and maturity and their unique personality. You want to start, though, when they're young because it's easier to form good habits then. But listen, if you didn't start when they were young, start at the youngest point you can, which is like today. Start parenting them toward Jesus today. Start leading them in discipline toward Christ today. That discipline may look drastically different depending on what stage of life you're in. If your kids are grown and they're out of the house, disciplining them is not going to look like taking away, you know, time on the TV or on the screen or something like that. You probably can't do that with them anymore unless you're paying the cable bill and then I guess you could cut that off for them. But, but it's probably going to look different in their lives. You're going to have to be gentle and subtle in that guidance and yet still understand God has made me a parent to help me to discipline, that is to guide children toward Jesus. Let me try and give you an example of correction and discipline. Your kids will likely struggle with pride. I don't know if I've ever met anyone who hasn't struggled with pride at some level, but they're probably going to struggle with it in differing ways for each child. You may have one child that tends to have low self-esteem and, and withdraws. Maybe he doesn't reach out to others in love but is upset when others don't respond to him the way that he wants them to. And in that case, you need to help that young man find his identity in the love of Christ, recognizing that feeling sorry for yourself is not a virtue on any list I've ever read, but often leads to selfishness and actually turns us inward so that we can't see the needs of others and causes us to actually miss the love others may want to give because we're so focused on ourselves and our own pride. You may have another child, a daughter, and, and her issue with pride is that she's incredibly popular and so she thinks she can do no wrong. And maybe it gets to the point where she's treating her siblings poorly and she's unable to, to see that, that her attitude is affecting her, her siblings or her family or her friends. And you need to gently point that out and correct it and give direction to help her see more realistically through the eyes of God and to adopt Jesus' own attitude of humility. And that brings us to the responsibility that parents have when we recognize that our children are sinners. We have to lead them to Jesus. This is the goal of our correction, to bring them to the one who can actually forgive what they've done, restore them, and heal them. You'll never be able to discipline your child so well that he doesn't need Jesus. You'll never be such a great parent that your daughter doesn't need you to hand her off to Jesus. But this takes humility for parents. You have to realize that you're not the source of your kid's life. Sometimes you, you hear that, that kind of parenting trope, I brought you into this world and I can take you out of it. But that's, that's not true. I mean, in one, I guess, biological basic sense, it's true, but we know God gives life. He is the source of our kids' lives. And so we have to recognize that your children need to know the life that can only come from Jesus. Only he can take care of the sin that lies deep in their hearts. You can try and try to do it yourself. 
You can try to punish it out of them. I'm not excusing you from disciplining your children because you need to do that, and ultimately the goal of that discipline is to lead them to Jesus. But at the end of the day, they do need to know Jesus. He's their source of life, and only he can make them new creations. You can't do that. You can't change your child so much through your great parenting that it makes him or her a new creation. But Jesus can through the Holy Spirit. And it's the unique role of parents, whether biological or adoptive, or maybe you're a grandparent raising your grandchild, to lead your children to Jesus so that they might know the source of identity and life. But in order to lead your kids to Jesus, they're gonna need to see Jesus in you. Your kids need to see Jesus in you. I don't mean that you ought to you know, grow out your hair and, and, and wear a robe and, a, and sandals or something like that. I'm talking about something that goes beyond being nice. Because sometimes when we use phrases like people need to see Jesus in you, we leave it there and it's so vague, we don't really know what it means. We think it means something like be nice to people. But really it means something much more than that. So what does it look like for kids to see Jesus in their parents? Well, first off, you've got to have a relationship with Jesus, a real one, if this is going to happen. Sometimes the parents, they bring their kids to church. They want to have their kids dedicated, and then they'll drop their kids off for programs or for uh, Wednesday night or for, for Sunday mornings because they want their kids to have good morals or, or they want their kids to have a foundation of character or they want them to know uh, about God or something like that. They think it's good for their kids, but it's not for them. Guess what? When your kids see that you don't put Jesus first, they're probably not going to for very long either. And when I say that you need a relationship with Jesus, I mean one in which your kids can see that you actually prioritize Jesus in your life, that you desire to do what pleases him, that you're seeking to follow his will for your life and your family in how you spend your money, your kids need to see that you spend your money in a way that honors God. And how you use your time, that they'll see they use their time in a manner that pleases God. In what you give your attention to, in your love for others, and in your attitudes, in everything, they need to see Jesus coming through. They need to see that you've really surrendered your life and you wanna live as a sacrifice to the Lord. They need to see the gospel at work in your life. They should be witnesses to your repentance. That they would see that Man, I, I, I did wrong, I've confessed, and I've received forgiveness from the Lord, and now I'm gonna go in a different direction. They should be witnesses to the transforming work of the Spirit in your character and in your attitude. They should be watching as the good news about Jesus transforms and directs your life. Have you ever been on a, on a trip, maybe on, on an airline, and on the plane they always have these signs about how to use your oxygen masks? And the flight attendant always gives directions beforehand about how to use oxygen masks. If the cabin loses pressure and the oxygen mask falls, please make sure you put on your own mask before helping others. And inevitably, the picture shows a parent helping a child because they know the instinct of the parent is to try to put the oxygen mask on their child before putting their own on. Their own on. Now, that's, a, that's typically a good instinct. The Bible tells us we have to put others before ourselves and love others. But guess what? There is some application for this metaphor to our lives as well. If you want to put the oxygen mask of Jesus on your kids, but you're not, you're not putting it on your own life, you're not following Jesus, they're probably not going to keep that oxygen mask on for very long. They're going to take it off because that's what 
you did. Parents, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, or you've been feeling that you want your kids to grow in the Lord, but you recognize you're not leading by example and growing in Jesus, the gospel is available to you. It's a free gift. That gift is this, that God sent Jesus to die for your sins, and you can be right with him by faith in Christ. You can be right with God by faith. And so repent, believe the gospel, and begin to lead out of your love for Jesus rather than out of what you think is best for your kids or sometimes out of the selfishness of what you feel is best for you which is how often parents end up treating their kids. And that takes us right to this next kind of practical advice that the Bible gives us, not just advice, but gospel application the Bible gives us in, in terms of how we, we apply the gospel to our children. And it comes from Ephesians 6, 4. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The, the plural word fathers in Greek likely indicates both parents. So this is for moms and it's for dads. And from this verse, it appears that parenting has had really similar struggles for a really, really long time. Now I know that you, parent, are never frustrated. You've never raised your voice. You always respond with kindness and compassion. You are never annoyed by repeated questions or relentless needs or the why do we have to do that question. You are never bothered when your kids don't listen the first time. I know that's you, so this is just for all the other parents, okay? This is just for all the other imperfect parents who are here. There are some who aren't quite as perfect as you. This is for them. Don't provoke your children to anger. Colossians 3.21 says not to provoke your children to anger lest they become discouraged. Discipline is essential in the home, but it's not just petty rules and demands that make the parent feel like they are in control or in charge, which is often what we end up doing. Let's relate this the parenting to the gospel here for a moment. As God works in our lives, he disciplines us, and that discipline is for our good. He's patient with us. He continues to show up for us. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't resort to shouting at us, but he directs us toward a goal. And when parents discipline out of anger, it doesn't usually end very well because that anger is often a symptom of selfishness. Have you ever considered that your children are one of the ways that God uses to make you more like him? that you're supposed to discipline your children, but he's actually disciplining you through your children as well. He's patient and he wants you to be. He's loving and compassionate and he wants you to be. He disciplines not to punish us, but for our good and that's what he wants you to do. And as I was thinking about these verses recently and the idea of parenting, I, I wrote this down just in my, as a, my own response to, to Ephesians 6, 4, not provoking your children to anger, but, but disciplining them in the instruction of the Lord, I just wrote down, don't provoke your children to anger. It's tempting to react to their attitudes and entitlement in kind. It's tempting to respond to your children like a child, isn't it? Don't. It's tempting to give long speeches. This is one of God's gifts in my life. I'm good at dad's speeches. I mean, I'm really good at dad's speeches. I can go on and on, and usually about halfway through, I realize this is not going to accomplish what I want it to accomplish. I should stop right now while I'm behind only a little, right? I'm really good at that. Don't just give long speeches. Be careful. It's tempting to point out all you do for them, all the privilege, and bury them in a barrage of words and experience and forceful personality. Be careful. Don't exasperate them. It won't help. 
They're trying to navigate who they are, who will accept them, help them do that. Don't give up on correction or discipline, but adjust it to fit the need of the moment and the personality of the child, not your personal feelings of frustration or annoyance. Your kids need to see Jesus in you. But it's hard for them to see Jesus in you if you're responding out of frustration or impatience rather than out of love and a desire for them to grow. And as you try to cultivate the character of Jesus in your parenting, you need to remember that servant leadership applies to your relationship with your kids. People often make excuses for treating those closest to them in worse ways than they would treat others with common kind of decency and courtesy. They'll make excuses for treating those family members in ways that they wouldn't dare treat a stranger. And in the same sense, sometimes we fail to do for people nearest us what we would welcomely or willingly do for others, or at least we know that we should do. And usually, this is because we get frustrated and annoyed and, and think that's some kind of excuse. Our frustration with someone is an excuse for treating them in a manner that we shouldn't. We read passages like Mark 10, 43 to 45, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And we'll think about how this applies in our service at church, how it applies in our community, in our community service, how does it apply at our jobs. But did you ever think that this applies to your children? Or what about the fruit of the Spirit or the golden rule? I don't mean you teaching your children these things. I mean you acting in these ways toward your children. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Do we sometimes, parents, forget that these bedrocks of Christian character shouldn't be afterthoughts in how we raise our kids? And since it's Father's Day, let me apply this to, to us dads. Sometimes we get an image of parenting in our mind that comes from maybe bad examples in the past, or God forbid it comes from you know, TV that we've watched, and we have an idea that we deserve respect. Dads deserve respect. And in one sense, that's true. The Bible does say, honor your father and mother, but the Bible doesn't teach us to demand respect. It teaches us to be respectable. That is worth respecting. Dad, do you lead by serving your kids, or do you think that your kids exist to serve you? To help our kids see Jesus, maybe we could apply Philippians 2, 5 to 7. Think about this attitude in terms of your parenting. What would it look like for me to do this with my kids? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. As my kids get older, the reality that there's only so much I can do sets in more and more in my life. And that's not to say that, that parenting doesn't have a significant impact. Parenting has an enormous impact in the lives of our kids for a long time. But there does come a point when you realize that you can't do anything more than you've already done. And that's where gospel principle number three comes in. Entrust your children to the Holy Spirit. He'll lead them even as he leads you. And he will lead them at times and places when you can't be there. 
when they're at school and you can't be there, when they're at a friend's house, when they go off to college, when they are at that play group or when they're at, uh, at, their, at their sports camp or they're at, uh, they're at uh, baseball practice or gymnastics or dance or whatever it is they're doing and you're not there and you don't get to be the still small voice of their conscience whispering in their ear, don't do that, be careful of this, use wisdom, choose your friends carefully, make sure you're being led toward Jesus. You're not there If you've entrusted your kids to the Holy Spirit, he's there. He's guiding them. He's able to help them. He'll lead them even as he leads you. So pray for them to walk in the Spirit. Talk to them about what it means, how the Holy Spirit can prompt them and convict them and show them what that looks like in your own life. Talk to them about your experience of the Holy Spirit and how they're experiencing the Holy Spirit's voice without pressure, without fear that maybe they're not experiencing what you did or, or maybe you know, they don't feel the same things you feel. You don't have to fear that. You don't have to feel pressure about that. Just talk to them about what it is to be led by the Spirit so that when they feel that little urge, when they hear that still small voice of conviction or, or that voice that's telling them to be courageous, they'll be able to recognize it because you've led them to be able to recognize the Holy Spirit's voice in their lives and you've entrusted their lives to him. When it comes to parenting, we need so much more than just some principles. We need to be able to apply the gospel. And when God sent Jesus to earth, Jesus revealed, revealed God as our heavenly father. No one had invited people into relationship with God like Jesus did. He invited them and taught them how to relate to God as Father and how to to pray to God as their heavenly Father. And John, one of his apostles, took this so seriously, took this so much to heart that he wrote in a letter, see how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. Think about how awesome this is. First of all, it's, it's, it's pretty astounding that God invites us into a relationship with him in which he is like a father to us. Not, not like a, I should remove those words, in which he is father to us. He is our heavenly father. But think about the implications of this for parenting or for you, dad, specifically. I mean, Sometimes we imagine that when the Bible uses a metaphor like, like, like God is our father, that what happened was God created the world and he, he made families and he looked down and saw, oh, you know that father thing, that's pretty cool. I think I'll use that as a metaphor. That's not what happened because that would make God far too small. Instead, what we know is that God had a plan before he created the world and he knew how he wanted to relate to us. He knew the kind of relationship he had with his son, Jesus, eternally before the world existed, and he knew how he wanted to relate to you in a similar way, and so he created families, and he created fatherhood so that there would be an image he could use to demonstrate to you what he wants to relate to you like, the kind of relationship he wants with you. In other words, he made fatherhood to be an image. He didn't select it as an image after he had made it. And this means that you, dad, and you, mom, as a parent, that God has created you, not just so that, you know, you can make sure your kids are safe until they graduate high school, but he has created you so that you can actually reveal something about the character and nature of God to your kids. And that makes parenting a really weighty thing, doesn't it? 
makes it a really weighty thing to say, God wants to reveal himself to my children through me. He wants them to see Jesus in me. And that shouldn't be something that scares us, but it should be something that drives us to God and to Jesus and to the Holy Spirit to help us to reveal Jesus more fully to our children and helps us to say, hey, you know what? Parenting is not like this kind of side issue of life or something that I do because I have to or my kids annoy me if I don't take care of them, but it's something that I do because I get to reveal the character and nature of God for my kids. Now, sadly, there are a lot of people who have had a really bad experience with dads. And a lot of dads have totally failed to reveal God to their kids in in any significant way. But most dads, most dads, I think, at least in some very, very small way, have concern for their kids. They want to protect their kids. And at the deepest places, want to provide for their kids, even if they feel very inadequate or weak at it. And the best dads, those who are following God as their father and are learning to walk in Jesus, they reveal significantly the character of God to their children by how they lead in their homes. And so whether you had a dad who was just kind of there, and you could see, you know, maybe some of the protective qualities or, or the, the, some of the good characteristics of God from them. Or you had a great dad who revealed a lot about Jesus to you. Or you had a really bad dad. The, the, what I want you to hear this morning is this, that God wants to relate to you as a father. Not as your father relates to you, but as a heavenly father, a perfect father. He provides, he protects, he loves, he also disciplines, he guides, he corrects us. He trains us up. This is what our Heavenly Father wants to do in your life. And maybe you've had an experience of fathers where your your idea of God is so skewed that you want nothing to do with him. You can't believe he would adopt that image for himself. The truth is he didn't adopt that image for himself. He created fathers to be an image, and fathers have sometimes failed him in being that image. That's what the reality is. And so if you had a dad who failed you, it's not because God failed you, it's because your dad failed God, sadly. But you shouldn't put that image on God because what he wants to do is step into your life and become that kind of father that you didn't have. Or maybe you have an image of a dad and of God as a result. He's kind of like a cosmic gumball machine where if you do the right things, you get what you want out of him. And that's not the kind of God that you're gonna get. That's not the kind of father that God is. Because what's going to happen is eventually you're going to put, you, you think you're giving God something. You think you're putting something. You threw up a prayer. You, you did some good deed. And now you think God owes you. And you're going to find out God doesn't pay that because he's not in debt to you. And so you're going to be mad at God. You're going to be mad because there's some pain in your life and you thought you were a good person. And you're going to be mad at God because you thought he owed you something and you've had a wrong view of God all along. What I want to encourage you with today is that God is a perfect father. He is the original father. And he's always good. Doesn't mean he's always nice. It means that he's always good. Doesn't mean that he's always safe or easy. It means that he's always good. And he's always wanting what's best for you. And sometimes there's a mistaken notion in our culture that we're all God's children. The Bible doesn't actually teach that. Like the Bible says, as we read at the very beginning, that we are all by nature children of wrath. We are all subject to the wrath of God. 
And so while sometimes you might hear people say, we're all God's children, if they mean God created us all, then yes. If they mean we're all made in God's image, then yes. But if they mean that God loves us all the same, that's not true. He loves us all. He loves the world. But he loves Jesus, his son, uniquely. Jesus is God's only begotten son. But he does love you. And so he didn't want you to remain separate from him. And so what did he do? He sent his only begotten son, whom he loves uniquely, and he sent him to live, to teach you, and then to die for your sin. And on the third day, he raised him from the dead. And this is the condition to being his son. His his condition for being your son, his condition to receiving his love is this, believe in Jesus. It's a gift, freely. He gives it freely, but it is a condition. You're not God's child unless you've come to him through Jesus, his uniquely loved son. And when you're in Jesus, you're his son, you're his daughter. See what kind of love God has shown to us that we would be called children of God, and that's what we are. John wrote this as well. He said, he came to those who were his own, but his own didn't receive him. Yet to all who received him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of a flesh, but born of God. Today, if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, you've had some some faulty, cracked idea of fatherhood that's hindered you from understanding God, from wanting to submit your life to God. If you're far from him in your sin and rebellion, his love is available to you. He does love you, but his unique love that's only available to his children, he's offering that today as well, but you only receive it if you come through Jesus. And today I wanna encourage you, come through Jesus. Come to the Father. Come through Jesus. God loved you enough to send his only uniquely loved son to die for you, that you might be right with him, so that you could go from being a child of wrath to being a child of God. Would you close your eyes with me for just a moment this morning? If you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, and you know you're living in that that sense of separation from God, Maybe you've experienced today as you come in what I would call conviction. It's this heaviness, it's this weightiness on your soul, on your spirit, that something is drastically wrong and it needs to change today. God is calling you to himself. Maybe you've come in and as we've talked about Father's Day, there have been all these images of of abuse or of anger or of disappointment that have arisen in your mind because of what you've experienced in the past and they're, they're kind of broiling in your soul. Today, God wants to bring forgiveness and he wants to bring healing to you if you'll come to him through his son Jesus so today I want to ask you if you'll do that if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus and you'd like to begin that today if you don't know God as your heavenly father because you've never come to him through his only son Jesus then today is your opportunity to know that you have a heavenly father who loves you perfectly and is always good if you don't have that relationship with God your father and you want to begin that today Would you just lift up your hand just as a a, a response to say, yes, I want to know the Lord. I want to know God as my Father. I want to know the forgiveness that comes through Jesus. I want that relationship with him to be made right today. Thank you, sir. Is there anybody else? You don't know God as your heavenly Father, and you want to know that today. You want to be restored and forgiven, made whole. Thank you. Thank you, sir. We're going to pray a prayer. And this prayer doesn't save you. It's, these aren't like magic words. I just want to help you express faith in Jesus. And so if you raised your hand today, I would ask that as I pray, just make this prayer your own, would you? 
Heavenly Father, I come to you today in the name of your son, Jesus. And I pray for your forgiveness. I've been far away from you. I've been running from you. I thought I had you figured out. and I thought I had my finger on you and, and I was angry. I was full of sin and bitterness and rebellion. Please forgive me. Today I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for me and I believe you raised him from the dead and I need new life, Lord. I need you to forgive my past. I need you to wipe me clean. I need to know that your grace is enough for even me and I pray that you would, you would help me to see that this morning. I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die and I receive that. I receive that death as my own. I wanna die to my past. I wanna be remade. I wanna be a new creation. I wanna be your son. I wanna be your daughter. I thank you for that love. And by faith today, I receive that free gift of new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, in just a moment, there are gonna be some prayer partners that are gonna be up front, some people who would love to pray with you. But we also wanna just kind of direct you, where do you go from here in, in relationship with God, your Father. And so I would encourage you to come and see one of them. Before we close, I wanna pray for dads since it is Father's Day. We've talked about parenting generally. It applies to moms and dads. But I wanna pray for dads today. And so if you're a dad, would you stand and, and just uh, uh, allow me to pray for you. And let's ask for God's help as we as we uh, continue in this journey that we're on as, as fathers, we certainly need his grace in that. We need his strength in that. So, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for all of these dads. I thank you for the way that you've uniquely called and you're equipping them as fathers and grandfathers, as, as maybe uh, those who are expecting a child soon, or maybe those who've adopted someone into their family, and, and now they're, they've become a father in that way. Lord, I pray that you would bless them and enable them to lead these kids toward Jesus. Lord, whether they're young kids and they've just been born or they're out of the house, give wisdom. Lord, we know that we need your wisdom because the, the lives of our kids continually change. They're not static. And so we need your ongoing help. And Lord, we need strength. Please help us in those moments when we're weak, when we want to give in to temptation, we want to parent out of selfishness, when we want to lead out of uh, some kind of desire for control or the, the, the feeling that we deserve something. Lord, would you help us to lead as servants in our homes? Help us to lead as, as those who have practiced the humility of Jesus. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to be able to lead our kids to know you. Jesus, we pray that more than anything today as fathers. Lord, help our kids to know you. Jesus, bring them to you. Holy Spirit, guide and protect them when we can't be there. When our voice of experience and of reason and of truth and of godliness isn't there to bring direction, Holy Spirit, we entrust them to you. Let them learn the, the still small voice that will speak to them in the innermost places of their hearts so that they can be led by you. Jesus, we thank you for that. We thank you that you help us. In your name we pray and we believe. Amen. Amen. Prayer partners, would you come forward? If you've got a need today and you would like prayer for it or you responded to the call for salvation, there'll be some folks standing here at the front who would be happy to pray with you. Otherwise, dads, on your way out, make sure you grab some ice cream as you go. We hope to see you again next week. Until then, go in God's grace and in his peace.